white systems, white constructs, white ideals that aren't suited to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. podcast storytelling with friends heroes and foes this episode's guest is marlon motlop marlon is an ex-professional footballer one half of music outfit marlon umbrella uh, he's an indigenous liaison for multiple organizations within australia he is a smart well-rounded and articulate individual who says a lot of good things about a lot of stuff we caught up over three cities via our laptops from Bendigo, Adelaide and Darwin. We talked about sport, music and we got pretty deep on some cultural issues. I uh, hope you like it and if you don't, might come to your parents' house and poison their front lawn and there's nothing you can do about that. From the Marlon, uh, thanks for joining us. Tell us who you are and uh, where you come from. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, my name's Marlon Motlop. Um, I'm originally from Darwin up in the Northern Territory, so um, I'm, I'm zooming in from beautiful, beautiful Darwin, my, my grandmother's country. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Larrakia on my father's side. I'm a, I'm a Larrakia and uh, Arab Darnley Island boy from, from, from the Torres Strait. And on my mother's side, uh, I'm a Kunarakan boy. Um, so the Kunarakan people are the paperbark people of the Finnis River Plain. So if anyone's ever been to Litchfield National Park and swum around in the beautiful swimming holes uh, up here in Darwin, um, that's all uh, kind of, you know, the Finnis River um, paperbark country out there where my, where my mother's mother's from. We'll come back to um, some questions about that later, but I want to start with football, get it out of the way. You've been a professional footballer. Um, and your football career started in Darwin. Tell us about growing up with football and how you got involved in it. Um, yeah, I, I guess I was fortunate enough to be uh, born into a very, on both sides actually, um, two very um, you know, big sporting families up here in the Territory. Um, on my father's side, um, the Motlop name is um, an obvious name that um, is synonymous with obviously AFL, but... Uh, my grandfather, um, you know, Chico Motlop, he was uh, he was born on Thursday Island and moved to moved to Cairns and then um, on the Perling Lagers um, as a young man and then made his way to Darwin where he met my uh, Larrakia grandmother and um, he was a rugby league man. He he, he grew up playing rugby league and um, played rugby league here in 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 the territory for for a while and um, he had you know four sons and and two two daughters and those four sons kind of um you know made their made their way in, in into the football scene here in the territory so um i was lucky enough i was born into a, a football family so um my football journey started when i was very young um you know i i, I essentially every everything i did evolved around um being at football or playing football or watching my, my dad or my uncles play football so so at at present count from chico there's been yep. yourself, Daniel, Stephen, um, Jesse, Shannon, and Shannon at the at yeah, that, that's and that's right. just at the AFL level. Uh, yeah, that's just at AFL level. Um, and then we've also had you know Aaron, uh, Thomas, um, who have played at uh, SANFL and Waffle level as well. Um, so yeah, there's and then you know we, we've got some um, pretty. Pretty good, um, you know, female footballers in our in our family as well. So, uh, you know, football runs through our our, our veins, and um, it's something that we grew up with, and is a big part of the Darwin community and Darwin culture. But it was a huge part of our family as well. So, did Chico? Did he ever play football or just rugby? Uh, yeah, he played football up here. Um, I think he played for the Darwin Buffaloes um, at, at one point, um, but he was a rugby league man coming from you know far north Queensland and. Um, you know, he moved to Babinda uh, in Cairns when he was a young fella. So we've got a lot of um, family over in Babinda, um, which is just north of Cairns and, um, and, and, and in Cairns itself. So, 
when we were in, in Darwin, like you play football, you play AFL in 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 the wet, yeah. and then in the dry, you either shift to um, shift to rugby or touch footy. So um, we were playing football, football and footy season, and then rugby league in, in in rugby season. So, do you ever do both, as in play a season up up top end and then come come down to SA or over to WA, Victoria, and do like a year's worth of football? Yeah. So it, essentially, what what kind of probably got um, myself and I guess Stephen on the radar a little bit um, is you know our football here in the territory. But when we were younger, North Adelaide Roosters used to fly us, fly us down in our school holidays. So um, yeah, we used to play in the under 15s and under 17s, and yeah, that's where you know we would have crossed paths, Benny, um, many years back. And yeah, so we felt like these. Not that you remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, I was. Oh mate, I, I was terrible at meeting new people and being in um, being down south with people. So I just knew I had to go down and play footy. Um, so I was just a bit real footy head. I was zoned in, but yeah. So we used to do that, and then now when um, as we've gotten older, um, I've just finished the SANFL season. But um, once I finished it playing at AFL level, I'd I'd play SANFL, um, and then in the off season, I'd play uh, in the territory. I've been lucky enough to see a bit of Darwin football and I, I love it. Um, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Muck Mucks, the Wanderers, which is the football club that um, I support in the NTFL and I just sort of was up there one year and ended up going out to training and I, straight away I thought this is a, a great football club. Can you tell me a bit about the Muck Mucks and the Motlop's involvement with them? Yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting journey. Um, you know, our family with you know the Muck Mucks. Um, I think it it's interesting that you know Motlops are very connected to the Wanderers Footy Club, but um, our fathers actually started at at Nightcliff, uh, Nightcliff yeah. Tigers. Yeah. Um, so they'd they'd coached, they'd won, um, they'd won many best and fairest there. Um, they'd played over two hundred games or you know hundreds of games. Over at Nycliffe Tigers, and then um, one one thing led to another over there, and they had to part ways. So they made their way over to the Wanderers Footy Club um, back in uh, the early nineties, and um, and that was essentially when you know I was um, you know a toddler, um, and you know we were just starting to starting to grow up. So we spent many years you know sleeping sleeping at the Wanderers Footy Club, um, you know. Playing footy, watching footy at Wanderers at the Wanderers Shed, and um, I think it's just it's it's a huge community made up of a lot of different Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander family groups, mm. um, and that's I think that's probably the the most special part of it. I, for me, it's kind of one. I, I don't know of another football club in Australia that's nationally recognised by an Aboriginal name. Yep, as Muck Mucks, you know, Muck Muck means eagle. Yeah. Um, um, up this way, and um, it's just a, it's just a, it's it's become um, quite a significant um, community club, um, and yeah, for for us uh, at the Motlop family, it's it's played a huge part in a lot of our um, upbringings and our journey um, through through the football space. I'm pretty sure in the season that I watched, which was around maybe 2017 or 18, that the whole forward line in some games was Motlop, six Motlops. Yeah, I reckon I reckon there's a record of actually seven in one game, including a coach. Yep. Um, and if you in, if you include the Water Angels, which is what we call them up here, Arnie Des has been running water for years yep. years up here, and um, yeah, that's the beauty of it. You know, it, it's not just um, it it doesn't just come down to the male and the footballers here in in the territory. You know, um, the Arnies and and the sisters. And the cousins are all helping out and playing their part. Um, you know, Wanderers, we're not we're not rich financially, mm. um, but what we do have a lot of is, um, you know, love and, and respect for, for each other and our family groups and everyone chips in. And correct me if I'm wrong, but women's footy was a big thing in Darwin long before it sort of got picked up as the AFLW. Yeah, yeah. I can remember being, being very young, you know, like eight, nine Nine, ten, and watching watching my aunties run around playing footy, you know, mm-hmm. nine sides, and um, you know, uh, just just community footy, and um, yeah, the the territory is filled with um, you know, 
amazing female talent yeah. and um, you know the 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 creation of AFLW um, is a huge um, it's a huge asset for, for to have nationally but in, in particular when we're thinking about the territory you know there's so much talent up here from the Tiwi Islands from northeast Arnhem Land from Darwin itself even even as far down as um, Alice Springs you know they've got the red tails um, or the pink tails program there which is um, creating huge um, you know important pathways for young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, footballers, female footballers to, um, you know, find a roadmap and create a roadmap from community footy to AFL level. So, I don't want to stay on um, footy too long, but I have to ask you about one of my favourite players that I've watched at the Muck Mucks, and that's the uh, La Gimano Lightning Bolt, Liam Patrick. Um, yep. Listeners might remember him from his career at the Gold Coast Suns, but can you tell us a bit about about that great man yeah liam liam patrick is one of my favorite one of my favorite players that to ever play with um you know you just in the change room outside of the footy ground um he's just the like the most loveliest bloke um the best bloke the nicest fellow most respectful um bloke you'll ever meet um and then on the ground you know we, we played in We've played in about three grand finals together, I think, me and Liam, and we've won one together. Mm. Um, but you could always count on him to do something spectacular. When the game's on the line, he'd just stand on someone's head or he'd kick a goal, you know, him versus three opponents. Um, and, you know, the the dedication of Liam Liam Patrick, what a lot of people don't know is that he's he's lived in La Germani this whole time. Yeah. Um, and he was playing every game for the last probably four or five years um, prior to COVID, you know, so... Um, it's about a 10-hour drive or something, and he was driving up every weekend. Um, there's actually a funny story where he was driving up one weekend and he'd hit an eagle uh, on his way up. <laughs> so the windscreen, um, the windscreen, uh, windscreen was uh, all smashed and um, shattered. Um, so he had to kick it out, and then apparently he's um, he's gone to the local store. He stopped at a store and he's bought some goggles and he's driven to Darwin with some goggles on. Um, and no windscreen all the way <laughs> to, to, play in, to play in our first final. Love that. <laughs> he also doesn't like um, he doesn't like his beers cold, does he? Nah, doesn't like them cold. Yeah, Keep, keeps um, them out likes in the them car. Warm. Yeah, likes them Kimberly cool. <laughs> One question I wanted to ask was about why. I mean, I am a Port Adelaide Power fan. What the draw card was for you? You know, for three Motlops to play there, for Stephen to come from Geelong and play there. I know that you got drafted there, so I mean you could have been, you could have gone somewhere else, but um, yeah, why why Port Adelaide at that point in time? Um, yeah, I think it, essentially, I think I actually think it started with um, our relationship with the Burgoyne families. You know, um, Sean and Peter were, were started at um, Port Adelaide, and then you also had Fabian Francis, who had um, you know connections through the territory as well through his family and. Um, Shay Cockatoo Collins, who um, you know has connections through Darwin, so um, you know there was a lot of um, there was a lot of there was a lot of links to Darwin through the Port Adelaide um, through the Port Adelaide brand, um, and as an AFL um, brand, when you're from a community like Darwin, um, to see yourself and see see a link to to that is is pretty um, it's pretty amazing. So. I think that's the whole reason Daniel uh, went to Port Adelaide was to follow Peter and, and Sean, um, and and then yeah, I I think Choco um, Choco was familiar with me. Uh, their recruitment staff was familiar with me, and um, Daniel wanted to get me to Port, so I, I ended up going to Port. And um, and when I finished at Port, I the f- kind of full circle. I went back there as a staff member, as an Aboriginal programs um, manager, and a, um, I did a bit of player welfare there, and um, that attracted Stephen, uh, as well as, you know, Daniel having, um, you know, three young boys and a daughter, um, and Stephen wanted to spend more time um, as with, with them, so it made sense for him to join family over in Adelaide um, and, and, and play at Port Adelaide, because, you know, by then we'd had a, a, a huge history as a as one family group with an AFL club. Yeah. So was there a a person as it like a an Aboriginal AFL Academy coordinator prior to you doing that or was that a was that a 
Was that something that was happening in the AFL at that time at most clubs or not Not really at all? Um, yeah, yeah. I think um, Port Adelaide were, were, were really a leader in that space. Um, you know, Paulie Vandenberg, um, who's uh, the uh, national and state talent manager at the AFL now, um, he really drove um, that academy model at Port Adelaide Footy Club and, um, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to... Um, to join join that team and um, yeah manage those academies um, which you know over over five years you know, it was an AFL academy but um, you know we were our, our our objective was to boost and increase employment um, education and school attendance rates for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people in years 10 11 and 12 um, and over a five-year period you know we were we were we were exceeding um, the the employment and the education um, rates nationally as a small um, as a small uh, not for profit organisation within an AFL club for for young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, year eleven and twelve students, um, and we were transitioning them into full time employment. Um, you know, I think it was about on average ninety ninety five percent of the time. So, um, and then football is a, a huge vehicle um, when you want to link. Um, when you want to improve school attendance um, and employment outcomes and, and engagement with with our community, so um, we were lucky enough to be able to operate within an AFL club and um, utilise the Port Adelaide Football Club brand um, and the AFL brand as well. We can't deny that recently there's been some light shone on how poorly the AFL has dealt with First Nations people. You wrote a song back in um, a few years back. When the, about the Taylor Walker incident, as a football, I think like bad dreams are all football fans, but I think we can say we all have huge concerns about the AFL culture and football culture and have for a while. Do you think it's as bad as we sort of suspect? Yeah, yeah. I think the evidence now is showing that it is as bad as yeah what we probably um, probably assume. Yeah, you know and. You only have to listen to um, the people that have experienced experienced these um, these scenarios and these situations as First Nations people. And what we need to realise is that you know, one Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, when they walk into AFL clubs and walk into these organisations and these systems, they're they're created, and the foundations of them that they're created on are predominantly white ideals and um, white systems and western westernized systems so um, so for example if you take a, a, a young person out of the APY lands or um, a young person out of northeast Arnhem land and expect them to understand how to navigate and move within an AFL club in a high performance environment when they've probably never stepped into what high performance um, the the definition of high performance from a Western society um, ideal looks like and sounds like and feels like there's going to be a breakdown regardless. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, what what this is showing is that the conversation is is seriously starting to happen. Um, I think there was a lot of, lot of narrative around the conversation needing to happen. Um, and certain aspects of, of that conversation were happening, but now the truth um, is really starting to um, uh, show its head and we're going to be forced to talk about this stuff and, and unpack this stuff um, in its truest sense un, in, in order for us to be able to move in any direction. Yeah. Um, but it's going to take some time. It's not going to be, it's not going to be an overnight thing. This is going to be a slow burn. Um, but it's going to be uh, educational for everyone if they're willing to, if they're willing to listen um, and and shift their their mentality and their um, values around how they look and perceive and value Aboriginal Australia. Did you experience racism on the field? Uh, on the field, I did in um, at a SANFL level. Yeah, um, I was actually playing with my cousin Daniel one day and. Um, yeah, we were playing. We were playing at Prospect, and uh, the supporters were supporters were calling us monkeys and um, yeah, monkeys and yeah, and bongs and um, and kind of when it happens, you know, you kind of you, you 
you kind of look to, I had Daniel with me and I'm looking at Daniel and we're kind of like, are they, are they saying what we think we're saying? Like when you hear it, it's kind of like, they're not actually saying this, are they? And then they say it again and then you actually, you actually know for a fact, you can prove that they're saying it. But then, um, you know, we had a, we had a teammate, Michael Pettigrew, who was a former Port Adelaide footballer. He was playing with us at the time and he was playing against us for the opposition team actually. And he's like, he looked at me and Daniel, he was like, well, they're my supporters, but if you want to jump this fence and have a go at them, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm right with you, I'll come, I'll jump over. Um, and so that was kind of, that was probably my first scenario on field. Um, and then you get the, the casual the casual stuff that happens in the change rooms and in the locker rooms where, you know, people are joking around about, um, it could be about a media, a media article or joking around about um, players and, I think the oft, often one I would get was, you know, just this notion or this assumption that, um, you know, the brother boys were kind of talented, but uh, they didn't understand how to work as hard as um, non-Aboriginal players, you know. Yeah. Um, so we could get around on talent um, and it was kind of this talent versus hard work thing. So um, for me, that ingrained this idea that I had to work harder than everyone else because I was just had to prove that I was professional enough to exist within a high-performance environment, um, which wasn't the case, you know. How could you describe to white blokes like us who come from, you know, was basically one of the more privileged in, in every way um, in, when we're walking around in Australian society, what does it – is there any way you can communicate what hearing that stuff makes you feel like? Um, well, for me personally, like what it does, it kind of shocks you at first and like everyone's different, you know, but for me, I, I kind of like have, it takes me a little bit to absorb it and, um, just download what's happening, you know, and then, and it could be a a space of probably 10 to 15, 20, 30 minutes where you kind of just in this space of like downloading, analyzing what's going on and then planning how you're going to react. Um, and then before you know it, you've wasted 30 minutes of your life because you're dealing with all this um, reinvigorated trauma that has come up because you've been, you've been challenged on your identity for probably the majority of your life. So, um, and then, and then you try, you, ha- you have different ways of dealing with it, but some, some of us actually kind of don't deal with it and then you're too embarrassed to tell your teammates. Mm. Um, and then when you do tell your teammates, it's kind of like everyone just rushes over and they want to support you and then you feel, like you're, you feel like you're inundated with all this support and all these eyes and all these, um, all these opinions. And when really all I really want to do when something like that happens is I just want to get on a plane and go back home and get with my family and be around mum and dad and be around my sisters and um, you know, go back out on the water and, and fish and, and hunt and then footy becomes irrelevant, mm. you know. Yeah. And so you, you, think about, you think about as a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old when I was at the time and I was racially vilified, you think about me trying to prove myself and trying to play at the highest level possible as an 18-year-old and pretty much for the next couple of weeks, footy was irrelevant because all I wanted to do was go home. One thing that you said to me um, a few weeks ago when we saw each other that really stuck with me that I'd never really thought about before and it sort of ties into what you're talking about now is the thought of when you go into places or, you know, you're in a professional environment because you're good at what you do, but it can be as simple as going into a cafe and you think to yourself, do I need to change who I am to be in this space that we're in right now because it's different to what, you know, that what you're talking about, being with your family, being with your sisters, going fishing, doing what, you know, you love. And um, it's just something that I've never really, well, obviously I've never had to do, deal with going into a, a cafe to grab a coffee and contemplate <laughs> If I need to change my behaviour to suit the people around me who I don't even know. Yeah, you think about like, it's kind of like, you think about having to change your personality every time you walk into a, an organisation or in a different room, you know, that's, 
it's kind of like 20, 30% of me tries to do that um, or has tried to do that in the past. Um, and then, you know, there's this, there's this idea or this analogy of this two worlds, um, this two worlds theory where Aboriginal people have to walk in two worlds and be successful in two worlds. Like, um, and I've always found that a little bit challenging to understand because, um, you know, for me, I'd, I just see one world, but I see myself with two personalities. And as I've gotten older, um, I've had to really practice on amalgamating those two personalities and, um, and just finding out, you know, my truest sense of my identity. And as I get older, I'd, I've, I've realised that I actually really don't, I really don't care what people are thinking of me now. Like, uh, I'm just Marlon, who's a Darwin boy, a saltwater boy, and um, I love the fact that I can walk in and, and be that. But there is, a, there is an element that, um, by natural habit, I kind of, that kicks in when I'm ordering a coffee. Like, I have to be extra nice. Um, I have to look people in the eye when I'm talking to them. Um, and yeah, there is a little bit of a, um, disconnect, at, um, at sometimes when I'm, when I'm in certain, certain places. Um, but I think it's, I think it's something that is just inevitable and it's always going to happen. Is there less of that stuff in Darwin? Yeah, I think so. Um, I always found that, um, I always find when I'm here, I'm just, it's just so easy. Like, yeah got more energy um I'm more energized because I'm not I'm not thinking about all that stuff that I think about down in Adelaide when I'm there yeah. um like walking in the cafes and worrying about people looking at me or um yeah worrying about people's perception of you know what's this guy doing in this cafe in Burnside in Adelaide or, or something like yeah. that you know so um so I feel like it's easier in, in in Darwin as well and Darwin's a beautiful place you know like historically you know we've it's 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 a, just a melting pot of so many beautiful cultures so we were very lucky to grow up in in a place where all our best friends were either you know aboriginal Torres Strait Islander um Greek Timorese Portuguese um you know Malay Vietnamese Filipino so um, we grew around, we grew up with um, that diversity in our immediate family groups and our uh, and our immediate friendship groups. So we knew how to um, we knew how to understand people's backgrounds and um, and respect and respect them for that as well. When you the Motlops are obviously really strong and close family from what I've observed. When you guys were growing up, and this is one thing we're interested in this podcast from talking to First Nations people. How were your stories and your histories um, passed on? Yeah, it's all well, Aboriginal people and, and law. Like there was no, there was no documenting back in the day. Mm. You know, it was all done by oral and um, and sitting and listening and, and being on country and being with, with with your elders. You know, and. That's how we've we've learnt um, along the way. Um, Larrakia culture has been pretty heavily impacted by um, you know settlement and um, and Western infrastructure and, and, and development, but um, we still have you know a lot of history and a lot of lot of culture um, here that's still rich. Um, and over the years, you know, um, Aboriginal Aboriginal groups have been have been great at kind of working with anthropologists to document a lot of stuff. So, you know, as we get to the modern day, the more developed world, we now have, you know, dictionaries and um, online resources and and stuff that, you know, archives that we can access. Uh, but traditionally, yeah, we, we, it was all done by, you know, being out on country and, 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 and listening to our elders, you know. It was kind of like, well, our old people wouldn't, they wouldn't be telling us a story unless we could be on country and we could see what the story was being spoken about yeah. um, then you get a real sense for for the for the storyline for the songline and, and and what it means and being a first nations person unfortunately almost always means you've got some pretty major trauma in your stories uh, you know in in your family is that something that's you know is that is that stuff that's discussed and talked about easily or is it hard for you relatives to talk about that uh there's there's certain aspects that um 
we can talk about openly openly but um there's there's other aspects that are um that are pretty sensitive that we need to be careful of um and it's not our job as as young people to prod and, and probe our our old people you know mm. like it's our job to just sit listen be patient and um and be there when the time is willing to listen um when our when our old people are ready to tell us and um and that's how i've seen it you know like it's not a for me it's not a race like it's not a it's not a start and finish and um start and then i'm at a point where i'm successful enough and i have to stop like there's no there's no deadline that i'm trying to meet it's not an assignment um it's it's a journey it's a it's it's for me it's a journey that will end well for me physically when i leave this place but um you know from a sense of storytelling it'll never end because whatever i learn i'll pass on to my young people to my children and um they will continue that journey of learning so um and i think that's kind of the that's the breakdown for between western society and aboriginal culture you know um this Western society, these Western constructs, there's always deadlines attached to them. You know, there's always a start and a finish. Yep. Whereas Aboriginal culture, it's just a, this ongoing continuum. And you go back to the start to learn more. You go back to your most knowledgeable point to learn more and then to pass down. And then it's just a, um, a beautiful cycle that way. Um, but, yeah, to go back to your, your question, there's, there is a lot of – there is a lot of hurt and trauma that um, you know our, our families have experienced over the course of or over the course of time, um, and yeah, it's our role just to be super sensitive, um, sensitive with that with that as well, and understand that there are there are things that we can speak about today. There are things in the media. There are things that, from a friendship point of view, um, that can that can bring up a lot of that trauma. So um, it's our it's our duty to to understand what that sounds like what that looks like and what that feels like and um be sensitive about that when we're when we're connecting with each other how do you feel about the idea that i guess a lot of the um violence or warfare um has been not really recorded not really taught as history like do you think that is that something that because of the trauma it's up to first nations people to um bring it out when they think the time is right or is it something that white Australia can be like, actually, no, this happened. We want to talk about it to do the right thing. Yeah. I think it it comes back to like, what do we want to be known and and seen as, as a society and as a nation, you know, like do we want to be seen as a nation that has built, has built a country and an economy based off the foundations of a partially untrue or a partially truthful history. Mm. Like I, I see no, I see no issue in just opening up the dialogue and having a conversation about you know exactly what happened because that's where the breakdown is. Like a lot of a lot of Australians today, they, they don't know what happened. No. Motlock's very dangerous. He's very dangerous. Ha. One way or the oh. other. Motlock! You start! I guess, uh, were you burnt out by footy? Uh, are you burnt out by footy? After not only going through all that, you know, playing at a high level for a long time, and but also having to put up with the stuff that you did. Like, are you over it now? Um, yeah, I think I am a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah, it's very tiring. Um, I think I got to the the final year of my football career, and um, one I was probably I was probably a little burnt out based on the output and the workload that I was um, that I was under probably in the last five years to be really successful, you know. Mm. Um, and um, and I'm I'm super I'm I'm super grateful for that. You know, if I knew that um, to be successful at at that higher level, you, you, it, it was going to come at a cost. So um, I'm just happy that I've had a year off, and um, I still get to play football up in Darwin, and I can still walk, and my knees are good, and my elbows and shoulders are half good. Um, so 
I can still run around with family and that, but um, in terms of, you know, the, the mental side of it um, and from the perspective of being a, a First Nations person in, in, in this industry, like, it's, it's very tiring. Um, and if a lot of, for a lot of Aboriginal people, like, in, in admin roles in, in the industry, like I've been involved in um, since I left the AFL system, you know, I've, that's, that was, you know, nearly 10 years ago. But you think about it like this, like every job that I've had, not only in the AFL industry, but predominantly in the AFL industry is based off how black I am and being First Nations person. That in, in itself is, is very tiring. Um, and then you look at you look at predominantly what my role entails. It's about educating non-Aboriginal people, mm. and so I have to draw on how how black I am when I'm educating non-Aboriginal people, um, and it takes a toll. And you know, for me, you know, personally, I'm someone who, um, you know, if I've got a task and I set a goal, I'll just go and do it, and I'll do it until. I can successfully say I've, I've ticked that off. Um, yeah. The problem with this is, you know, this it's hard to tick off these goals and it's hard to say where your success point is because we still have so many challenges and so many issues that keep um, rearing their heads. So um, for someone who's been in this industry for 10 years, um, you know, it's it's quite, yeah, it's, it, is, it is pretty tiring. And I think, I just think about, I imagine, you know, what if, what if I didn't have to draw on that for the last 10 years? I wonder where my football would have gone. Um, I'm super happy with what I've done in the game. Um, yeah. Don't get me wrong, but in hindsight, you know, um, looking back, I wonder if I didn't have to, I wonder if I didn't have to deal with all that, would I still have the motivation to, you know, continue to play at a high level? Would my AFL career have gone a little bit different? I don't know. How important has music been in all of this and what sort of role has it played? Yeah, music's been a, a huge avenue for me in terms of um, just being able to um, direct my energy into a, into, a new, um, into a new area and into a new space. And, you know, it's really refreshing to be able to, yeah, yeah we talk about, um, you know, what my role's professionally and from a career point of view have entailed um about you know drawing on my aboriginality so much and you know sometimes we i I write about you know my experiences as an aboriginal person in here but it's so refreshing just to to be able to look at you know my mother and father and write a song about them you know um or look at my sister and my brother and and write about them and 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 feel feel rejuvenated and and feel like um not so much, you know, and it's not so much what it, what it does for me. Um, it's, it's more so um, when I'm writing what it, what it does for kind of how I perceive, how I, how I see them. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's really refreshing. Um, and it's, I guess it's healing, in, 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 to be brutally honest, um, just to be able to write about your family and write about, living here in Darwin, the sunset in Darwin or, um, you know, walking down the beach in Darwin with your nieces and nephews or your family and friends. So, um, yeah, music plays a huge role, huge role for me. So you met Ruler at Glenelg Footy Club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met Ruller at um, yeah, Glenelg. Oh, actually, I met him in Darwin. Um, he was coaching on a boomerangs camp, so I'd, um, I did some stuff. I took the took the young fellas out and the staff members out to um, Litchfield National Park and I, I took them around Darwin for a bit and I met Ruller. He was a coach on that uh, on that program. So I met him here and then um, a few years later he he'd made the made the trek over to Glenelg Footy Club and I met Ruller there, yeah. And so did you know that he – did you know as a musician when you were playing footy together at the start? Um, he – he floated the idea about having to jam a couple of nights during training, and uh, I was, yeah, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, no worries, we'll, we'll see what, see where, see where we can get some time. And um, yeah, he came around home one night and he cooked up some mutton bird that he had from from back home in Tassie, and 
um, yeah, that's where yeah, he showed me showed me Black Swan, and um, he said, "What do you think?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, it's that that's a pretty cool song." Like, um, and so yeah, I, I went around his house one day, and he was like, "Oh, do you want to yeah, we'll just work on this chorus and write a verse?" So, um, I reckon I wrote a verse in probably thirty minutes, and um, worked on the chorus for another ten, and um, kind of recorded it before training, and then shot off to training, and yeah, he shared it with the world on 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 facebook and yeah from there we kind of turned it into a track and released it so how serious were, were you about music before that because i read that you you hated playing the guitar when you were growing up yeah dad dad was a student of music so he went to university and um everything he learned at uni he, he brought home and taught me my brother and my younger sister so i can remember days of you know as a young person he'd put us to bed listening to pavarotti and uh, Elvis and B.B. King and Stevie Wonder and it was all stuff that he was reciting at, at university so um, yeah I, di- I didn't really enjoy learning guitar when I was a young person but I'm grateful that um, he took the time out to to spend the time to teach me because um, I just kept at it I kept playing and I kept singing and um, I found a I found a sound in my voice one day vocally that um, kind of yeah just surprised me a little bit um, I didn't know whether it was good or bad but I, it, I, I saw a, a, I saw a um, I saw a, a character within my my voice that was starting to to shape into you know was starting to to show myself yeah. um, and I just started to hone in on that and focus in on that and um, yeah I got to about 22 where I just started to I used to walk in open mic nights and um, and it was really weird because I was I was in this football space and um, I was trying to I was just trying to challenge myself and at, at being a mu- musician. So I'd walk in open mic nights and just put my name down and praying that no footballer would walk in having dinner with his missus and see me playing <laughs> at this open mic night. So they're not. I'd no- go there and just play yeah covers and stuff. So footy clubs aren't known for their uh, musical endeavours. Nah. Well, the funny thing is like. Glenelg Football Club itself has had this history of like some of its um, most senior players going out and um, gigging and they've actually released um, records and, and, and songs. Like oh, really? Corns. Yeah, Graham Oh, Corns yeah, Cornsy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cornsy's released music. There's been a few others. Like it's actually quite funny. So um, Glenelg Footy Club is, yeah, it's, it's an interesting footy club. Like, I guess they got uh, the surfy sort of coastal vibe a little bit more maybe yeah yeah but it's one of the most um it's one of the most fascinating footy clubs i've actually actually been at i always tell the story like being from down and growing up at the muck mucks footy club i always tried to i always compared my footy clubs to how wanderers was and i'd never felt like it was kind of the same yeah um until i got to glenelg oh is that right yeah there was just some there was just something about the people within this club that, um, yeah. like the language was different. The, the the way that they were talking to me, the way that the questions they were asking me was super different. It wasn't all based around footy. You know, they were asking me around. Yeah, when footy season was on, like they'd be asking how the muck mucks are going. Yeah. Um, and you know, we'd, we've had about a hundred blokes that I've played with over the years try to come up and play for muck mucks, and most <laughs> of them are from Glenelg. So, um. Yeah, it was just a it was a different it was a different environment, but um, Glenelg was you know they were they were super happy for 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 myself and Rulla to be able to um, you know dip our toes into into this new space and, and see where it went. And you've done bloody well. You supported Midnight Oil, Womad, done a national tour with Xavier Rudd. Recently played at Treaty Day here in Bendigo. You've played at an AFL game. This is all like in a year. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Did you expect that level of uh, success? Um, not really. I just, I just made a conscious effort to say yes and, um, and sink my feet into it and, and, and see where it went. Um, I, knew I, had to, I knew I had to take the risk and um, just rip the Band-Aid off a bit. And so I just kept saying yes to a lot of things and um, – the funny thing is, you know, one gig or one opportunity led to another opportunity and um, you started to meet some other people and you started to sing in front of other people and, um, yeah, you could you, you feel the energy. That's that's the biggest thing for me. The, 
the most satisfying thing for me is um, the connection that you have between yourself and the audience. Um, yeah. And then just that validation when you kind of start singing and you can feel their energy going like, fire out, this guy's not bad, you know? And that for me is, is yeah, that's a special feeling. Was there any of that sort of sparked by um, Northern Sound System? Um, yeah, NSS. Were you a part of Northern Sound System? Yeah, yeah, I was a part of the Wome Adelaide Academy. And, um, yeah, NSS, Northern Sound System, and, and Nick O'Connor out there, that, that, were, that were huge um, support for us. Um, and, yeah, that, that were a big part of early days, particularly with the Wome Adelaide um, gig. And With that weight you described working in the football-associated industries as a First Nations person, does it feel any different now you're in the, in the music industry? Yeah, I don't know. I've had a pretty easy run over the last probably year and a bit, and I probably haven't um, experienced too much of it. Um, but yeah, I think I think for me it's just like I'm not tied down to this, an organisation where I'm abiding by these constructs and the system and this structure. You know, like I'm yeah. free to I'm free to create and and speak and express how I want. And I think that that for me is the most um, invigorating and energizing thing. So, um, yeah, I don't feel weighed down at, at the minute. Um, and I think, you know, w- what I've gone through in, in the football space over the last 10 to, 10 to 13 years has probably created some really um, nice tools and um, some nice know-how in terms of, you know, when I, when I do come across some challenges um, that I face, I'll know how to how to navigate through them and move through them. I guess to finish with, where do you think things are at in Australia at the moment in terms of um, movement towards better recognition of Aboriginal people? Obviously, you've got the voice to parliament and the treaty. Where do you think things are sitting? Um, I always, for probably the last probably three or four years, um, I always said that there's, I feel that there's a, a cultural shift happening in our country, in our nation. And, um, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's a way to numbers thing and, and we're moving towards this way to numbers game where it's favouring in, in the space of First Nations people and their values and their systems and culture and the history of, of that country. Um, and a part of that shift is the truth-telling and the, the historical truth of this country that needs to get out and the systematic race, racism that still exists within white organisations or um, white constructs or, or non-Aboriginal-created organisations and systems. And, um, you know, you look at the AFL, the AFL stuff, the crisis that's going on right now, that's a part of that shift. Like, that's something that needed to get out as the country's number one sport um, number one followed sport essentially or one of and for those truths to get out is is igniting a conversation and the dialogue that needs to happen around the truth to what Australia is cultivating or has cultivated over the last 230 years which is white systems white constructs white ideals that aren't suited to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Yeah, I mean, you've said it. You've said it perfectly. And we hope that organisations such as the AFL, which are imbued with so much resources, so much attention, it's pathetic that they can't do better. You've 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 told your story about what happened at Port Adelaide, and even you know there's. There's resources there and there's people there that have the knowledge. The fact that they still fuck things up and cause so much uh, damage is just unacceptable, uh, in my opinion. And hopefully um, from the courage of these of people coming out and talking about things that have happened and from people like you telling your story and doing all the heavy lifting spending your time helping to teach people 
uh, like us and, um, you know, telling your story through song and music as well. Hopefully things can improve and or keep improving. And so, yeah, thanks so much. You've been really generous to us as a band with your time um, and advice. And, uh, yeah, it's been great to watch your music career take off. And, yeah, can't wait to share a stage soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that opportunity. And um, before I go, it's like thank you as not just as a band, but as a, as, as a group of, you know, a group of, of lads in, in Australia where, you know, it's probably, it's probably just as hard for you guys to be able to share your, your love for, for our people as well, you know. So um, every time we see you guys create a song and um, show support for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australia, is, um, it's empowering for us. It's empowering for our young people. Um, and it makes us feel proud and kind of excited that there is, there is a shift happening that we talk about. So, um, yeah, a huge thanks and, um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing because, um, it's, it's, it's inspiring. Um, and it makes us feel, feel super wanted and super acknowledged and super proud. Thanks so much, Marlon. Yeah. Thanks, Marlon. I'm going to cry now. Yeah. Let's go. That was Marlon Motlop talking with Alex and myself. Uh, You can find any details you need in the show notes. Uh, we've got a show coming up we've got shows coming up we've got a tour buy some tickets we've got a song out this Friday get around it get around us get around me who let the dogs out the Barham ended unfortunately so someone's gonna go get them ain't gonna be me peace a beautiful beautiful beautiful